Good to see you all. I do love this bit of time. Um, we're approaching Passion Week, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, where we look again at what he did for us. And I'm aware that actually today I'm talking to quite a mixed bag of you. We've got, we've got people, um, pe- people who uh, have only recently begun to understand that, that Jesus is alive and that the resurrection has significance for your life and that Jesus paid something profound for you on the cross and this is all quite new. Uh, and then we've got some people that have been looking at this story and applying this story to their lives for many, many, many years like Roy and Pam. Um, and uh, and we, got, we, have, we have visiting pastors and we also have people who are in church for the very, very first time. And maybe you haven't heard much about this at all. So, yeah, we're, we're going to look at it together. And I guess the first thing to say is if you want to know Jesus Christ, you have to understand his death and his resurrection. It's essential to who Jesus is. Paul, the apostle, was passionate about knowing Jesus. Jesus was his obsession. He just wanted to know everything there was to know about Jesus Christ. And he says in Philippians chapter 3, he said, I want to know Christ. In fact, I'm going to bring it up, if that's okay. That's a song. (laughs) He says this. Is that big enough? He says, I want to know Christ. And straight away then he goes on to say, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So that should be. Fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Okay, this is NIV. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. As soon as Paul starts to say, I want to know Jesus, what comes flooding into his mind? It's the death and the resurrection of Jesus. There's something in this verse that, for me, begins to unpack the whole passion season. And it also speaks to me of this kind of maturing in faith about how we look at the resurrection and the suffering of Jesus. I think when we start out in faith, when we are young in faith or just becoming interested in faith, the first thing that, that we really engage with about Jesus and his death and resurrection is just this incredible freedom that comes where Jesus has paid this price and set us free. He's risen from the dead. We're, we're starting to understand that, that Jesus is alive, that there is a power in this world that is a work that is living and active and can affect me and my situation. That's where we start. And we love the blessing that comes through Jesus. We love that sense of new life, that joy that floods in. We love having our prayers answered. Do you remember the first time you prayed about something and God answered your prayer and you're like, whoa, this is real. It's amazing. It's like your heart skips a beat. And that's, that is so true of so many of us in, in, when we're young in faith. That's what it's all about. And God is so gracious and kind that he doesn't mind allowing us just to taste uh, the, the joy and the wonder and the, the, the amazing gift of answered prayer. And it's like he, he allows us to take our baby steps with blessing. 
But then as we grow and as we become more mature as Christians, we begin to understand that actually God has a passionate heart. And we begin to share God's heart and feel his pain and his sufferings. And maybe you walk through some hard times in your life and you have to ask those hard questions. Well, where is God now? And your faith begins to deepen and it begins to mature. Becoming like him in his death. To know what it is to be exhausted and depleted and poured out. And to be in that place where your life seems impossible. And yet still to learn how to show love and grace in that place. And to trust God for the consequences. That's maturing in faith, right? If you can do that. And then finally, to attain to the resurrection. To know the power of God to do the impossible on your behalf. And to bring you out of your desperate times. And to raise you in strength and vitality and newness of life. And courage and peace and joy. To come through your hard times and to know God's faithfulness and power. That's another step up again. That's knowing Christ in a whole another level so Paul encourages us he says I want you to live appropriately and responsibly to the death and resurrection of Jesus so I've been looking at the accounts and I've been trying to find where in the gospels do we see amazing appropriate responses to the death and resurrection of Jesus and actually it's remarkable how inappropriate people are in the stories how people responded to the events, it's like they couldn't have been more inappropriate if they tried. So they slept in the garden when he needed them to be the most vigilant. When he needed them to be alongside and keeping watch with him, they were asleep. When Jesus was giving, giving himself up in this incredible peaceful protest, they started to swing their swords and cut off ears. When he was hanging there and bleeding and dying, they cracked jokes while he was bleeding for their salvation. Amazing. They gambled over his belongings as he was dying for them. And then maybe most strangely of all, they placed heavy stones over his grave, lest he be raised from the life and make way for us all to be raised from death. Inappropriate. I think, as a human being. I don't think people could have been less appropriate if they tried. But what is fascinating to me as I've gone through it this time is to see the response of the natural world, of creation. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, creation seems to respond incredibly appropriately. And so I want to look at three moments where creation responded to Jesus. Because I think we can learn a lot from how creation responds. And actually, this shouldn't be a surprise to us. You see, when Jesus was born, creation gave birth to a star and heralded the fact that Jesus was coming. Creation always seems to recognize Jesus. The waves obeyed him when he told them to be still. Water turned into wine. Fishes and bread multiplied at his touch. Atoms in water solidified so that he could walk across them. 
I don't understand quite why that miracle needs to be there, but it was, and it shows something about the way creation responds. The wind ceased when he spoke to it. Creation seemed to always recognize how to respond in the moment. And do you remember when, when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on the donkey? And everyone is celebrating. Everyone is, is going wild because of the coming of the Messiah. And the people criticized him. And they said, do you hear what the people are saying? They're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And Jesus said, well, if they didn't, the stones themselves would cry out. Because creation understood the significance of the moment. And it's almost like creation could only hold itself together because everybody else was expressing the joy of the Messiah coming into Jerusalem. This is all new to you, the idea of creation responding to Jesus. Just read the Gospels. It's all there. It may blow our minds a little bit, but it actually helps us to see things as well as they really are. So... Is it a surprise that the death and resurrection of Jesus was both a traumatic and a monumental event for creation? It's going to respond, isn't it? If we want to know what it is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings to become like him, let's look at creation. So the first one, turn to Matthew and chapter 27. I'm going to start with verse 45. Okay, you found it. Matthew 27, and from verse 45. It says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Now Matthew uses some really interesting words here, so bear with me. We've got to look at a bit of the Greek. That's good. It impresses visiting pastors anyway, if I go into the Greek. <laughs> okay. The word darkness... Here is the word skotos. It means very dark. It means menacingly dark. It means a deep, dark gloom. Creation felt and expressed the darkness of Jesus' situation. The word for land is the word geth, which is the Greek word for the earth. Like for the whole earth, not just a geographical region. It's like the planet Earth. It suggests that the entire earth literally became simultaneously darkened as Jesus hung on the cross. Really interesting. Historians, Flagan, Thaddeus, and Julius Africanus all record darkness that covered the earth at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. That's interesting. Global darkening. And it wasn't even an eclipse of the sun, because I read that uh, the Passover only happens on a full moon. Therefore, it couldn't have been a solar eclipse. So it's like, it's probably like very heavy, sudden storm clouds. You know, when you're in the middle of the day and suddenly it gets really, really strangely dark because massive storm clouds are coming over. Probably global. I don't know how it was darkened, but this 
It was a deep gloom that came globally. And the words often translated there was, as in there was darkness all over the land, is the Greek word ginomai, which describes an event that slowly crept up on them. I think this is an eloquent picture of how we all experience dark times. A deep gloom that slowly creeps up on us until our whole world seems filled with darkness. Isn't that how it feels? Pressures heap up, health begins to fail, relationships get strained, maybe our productivity drops and our finances become tight. And before you know it, you feel you're in a dark place and you ask yourself, how on earth did I get here? Isn't that how it happens? I've known that in my life and I've worked with enough of you to know that that's how it usually is. Occasionally there's some massive trauma and you go from happy and everything going well down to despair, but it doesn't happen like that very often. Usually it comes creeping in imperceptibly until finally you find yourself unable to function and you think, goodness, how did I get here? And my whole world sometimes somehow feels impossible and just get me out of here. Things can feel sometimes heavy and gloomy and dark. I'm often taken by surprise when, uh, when I'm working in my garage. I don't have any power over there unless I run an extension cable across the road. Um, so I'm often working on something and uh, it's getting darker and darker. I'm trying to finish it and I only really know that I've really got to go and get my extension leave when my nose is almost touching the piece of work. <laughs> And, it, and it's getting really, really dangerous, and the power tools, I can just about see the blade. Uh, and you think, yeah, time to rig up the lights. It can be like that. Darkness comes imperceptibly, and it takes you by surprise, and things become harder and harder and harder until you think, actually, I can't go on. It was like that for Jesus. Layer after layer after layer of betrayal and rejection by his people and pain and sin and shame was placed upon him. But the remarkable thing is that creation felt his pain. It didn't run. It didn't stand far off like those other people in the story. But as Jesus' life drained out, as the light of the world was poured out, creation expressed its sorrow, and the world gradually got darker. And I think we can learn from creation here. When we see the suffering of those around us, can we resist the temptation to run from it or stay at a distance like the people in the story did? Instead, can we stand alongside until the brighter day comes? I think that's what I learned from this. Because it will come. This story doesn't end in gloom, does it? And nor, neither will yours. If you're going through it right now and your life feels pretty dark right now, I want to encourage you that the intention of Jesus is not for you to stay in the darkness. There is a brighter day coming. But sometimes we need people to stand in solidarity with us when we're going through it. Because that makes all the difference. And I wonder if it was a, a comfort to Jesus while he was hanging on the cross just to know that creation understood something of what he was going through and was mourning with him. I want to be able to do that. 
I want to be able to do that for other people. And I, I want to say I really valued where people have done that for me. When I've been going through it, when I've been pressing through a dark time and other people have come in alongside me just not particularly to give advice or even to help, but just to understand where I am. That is incredibly strengthening and incredibly comforting. Let's do that for one another as a church. Okay, let's move on. Next sign from creation. It was a violent earthquake. Let's read from verse 50. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split apart, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely this was the Son of God. That's an interesting bit of scripture, isn't it? Jesus was there poured out and depleted, cried out in a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Jesus fully spent. Something shifted in the spirit and in the environment around Golgotha. Something happened. Creation responded to that moment when Jesus was fully spent. Tombs were opened. People were raised to life. Just hold that in your mind for a moment. There's this outpouring of power and resurrection. People get blessed. People's lives get restored. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? He's still spent and hanging on the cross. Who is experiencing the power and blessing of heaven? Jesus? No, others. Other people are. I wonder if we can follow Christ in this way. This takes some doing. I don't know if every single one of us are called to this or not. I think we probably are in one way or another. But can you follow Jesus when you yourself are feeling like you've given all? And that you yourself are feeling weak and poured out and like you've got nothing left and everybody else seems to be getting blessed. God seems to be moving heaven and earth to raise other people up, yet you yourself have not yet received your resurrection. Can you do that? Can you walk through a time like that? There are many people who have. We have many stories of people who have done exactly that. There's some high-profile stories and there are millions of everyday stories where people have done this as well. But I just wanted to bring one example in the form of William Carey. Some call him the father of modern missions. I love this. At a meeting of Baptist leaders in the late 1700s, a newly ordained minister stood to argue the value of overseas missions. He was abruptly interrupted by an older minister who said, Young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. <laughs> he said, When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. 
he went anyway. <laughs> and I'm glad he did. But when he reached India, it says this, Kerry had grossly underestimated what it would cost to live in India. And Kerry's early years there were miserable. When his best friend Thomas deserted the enterprise, Kerry was forced to move his family repeatedly as he sought employment that could sustain them. Illness wrecked the family and loneliness and regret set in. I am in a strange land, he wrote. No Christian friend, a large family and nothing to supply their wants. But he also retained hope. Well, I have God and his word is true. He learned Bengali with the help of a pundit and in a few weeks he began translating the Bible into Bengali and preaching to small gatherings. When Kerry himself contracted malaria and then his five-year-old Peter died of dysentery, it became too much for his wife Dorothy, whose mental health deteriorated rapidly. She suffered delusions accusing Carey of adultery and threatening him with a knife. This is indeed the valley of the shadow of death to me, Carey wrote. Though characteristically added, but I rejoice that I am here notwithstanding, and God is here. It doesn't sound like a bed of roses, does it? Yet, in December 1800, after seven years of missionary labour, Carey baptised his first convert, Krishna Pal, and two months later he published his first Bengali New Testament. With this and subsequent editions, Carey and his colleagues laid the foundation for the study of modern Bengali, which up to this time had been an unsettled dialect. Carey continued to expect great things, and over the next 28 years, he and his pundits translated the entire Bible into India's six major languages, and parts of 209 other languages and dialects. He also sought social reform in India, including the abolition of infanticide, widow burning, and assisted suicide. He made a massive change socially. By the time Carey died, he'd spent 41 years in India without furlough, which means coming home, his mission could count only some 700 people who had converted to Christianity in a nation of millions. But he laid an impressive foundation of Bible translations, education, and social reform. His greatest legacy was the worldwide missionary movement of the 19th century that he inspired. Missionaries like Adoniram Judson, Hudson Taylor, and David Livingston, among thousands of others, were impressed not only by Carey's example, but by his words, expect great things, attempt great things. God shook the foundations of India and blessed thousands of people. Yet Carey himself often found himself hanging in his suffering and totally spent while everybody else got blessed. That takes some doing. In fact, in every case where a nation's been really shaken by the power and the blessing of God, you'll find a handful of people who had to push through suffering and had to pour themselves out for the sake of their nation. And this was the story in the Apostle Paul's life. This is why he could write, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and yet experiencing the resurrection all around me. Earlier in Philippians, Paul says this. He says, you, this is in Philippians 2.15. You, you lot, 
are shining like stars in the sky. As you hold firmly to the word of life. And I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ Jesus that I did not run or labor in vain. He goes on to say, but I am being poured out like a drink offering. Like Jesus was. He was able to say, I'm glad still. And I rejoice with all of you. So interesting. Paul shook the ground wherever he went. He saw this kind of overthrow of every place that he went. He saw the spiritual environment just turn upside down. And he saw people get blessed and healed and restored wherever he went. Yet he himself was often hungry, abused, lacking in all kinds of things, physically struggling in his health as well, we believe. Interesting, isn't it? Are we up for that? Are we up for that? So as Jesus suffered, creation stood in solidarity. At the point when he was poured out, creation responded with a massive earthquake and a release of resurrection power right across the area. That's the second sign. Third sign. Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and sat on it. So this is the third time creation responds with a second earthquake. Did you know there was two earthquakes in the Easter story? <laughs> Oregon, the early church father, recorded that there were great earthquakes around the time of Jesus' crucifixion. This was a, a seismic event. There was such an explosion of power within Joseph's tomb that the world shook again. And the stone was moved away. I love this. This stone was not any ordinary stone. It was ridiculously big and impossible to move. A bit more Greek. The Greek word used to describe the stone in Mark was spodra, which means extremely or exceedingly, and the word mega. We know what that means, don't we? Huge, massive, enormous. This massive obstacle, this mother of all stones, was picked up and moved as though it was polystyrene by an angel. I love that. Amazing. And this time, who emerges from the tomb? Jesus. Jesus himself emerges from the tomb. God raised him up, restored him. He opened the way forward where it was impossible, kept in death behind the megastone. God still raised him up and brought him out called him forth. Acts 2, 31 32 said, The Messiah was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, as if, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. God shook the foundations of the earth on Jesus' behalf this time. He didn't leave Jesus depleted and broken and despised. He raised him up and restored him and strengthened him and blessed him and honoured him. There was a big delay, wasn't there, in between the poured out time and the resurrection time. It must have seemed like an absolute eternity to some of his followers, those three days when he was in the ground. But God had not forgotten him. He'd not abandoned him for a second. 
as if he would. The Father loves the Son. The Father had a plan for this resurrection moment since before he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Before he even entered the dark time, he had a plan of resurrection for Jesus. And Jesus knew it, and he trusted his Father. This is true for us too. God has a resurrection plan for your life. God will not leave you to decay in your circumstances forever. Sometimes it may take a long time. Sometimes there may be a delay, just like it was with Jesus. Sometimes it can feel like an eternity. But God has a resurrection plan for your life. Ultimately, we are all going to be in glory, fully restored. God will have the last word. No matter what we face in this life, everything will be made right in glory. There is an ultimate expression of this. Something to hold on to. But there's also an in-the-moment expression of this. In the same way as we go through times of darkness, we go through times of suffering, we go through times where we're poured out for the sake of others and we think, goodness, I've got nothing left. In the same way, we can experience resurrection in this life, here and now. And we can again and again and again have God take us from where we were and just restore us, call us out, move those massive stones that we don't know what to do with in our lives, those impossible things, and call us forth once again. Paul knew this. He was knocked down a lot, wasn't he? He was in prison a lot. He was beaten a lot. And yet he just kept getting back up. God just kept raising him back up and putting him back out there with fresh calling and fresh vigor, each time with greater strength and joy. And I really identify with this. I feel like I've been rescued and restored more times than I can count. I really do. And I know that this is something which is familiar to to many of you. Our lives have not been without dark times. You know, we've been battered and wrung out. And we've struggled in the, in the, the task of seeing people blessed. And there's been times where we felt helpless and that something mega needs to shift for, in, in order for us to go forward. But time and time again, God has done the impossible. And it's the story of all of us. He's able to take us all from that darkest most weak moment and put us into a whole new season brimming with vigor and joy and hope and passion and confidence and courage it's what he loves to do God is a God of resurrection and he is a hundred percent faithful to all of us I really want to see an earthquake across this area. I really want to see the ground shake. I want to see that spiritual turning over of the atmosphere. Like Jesus saw when he was poured out and creation responded. I want to see a response to the way that we follow Jesus through the way of suffering, through the, through the struggle, through the pain. The way we are prepared to pour ourselves out, I want to see an effect 
where others would be raised to life. Where people would find access to a resurrection power at work amongst us. Because I believe this is a pattern. Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains useless. But if it does, there is a kingdom power that is released that allows people to be restored. I believe God still wants to move heaven and earth to bless people and to restore people. But I wonder if he may need a few of us to follow Christ in this way, like William Carey did. To be willing to pass through times of pressure. To be willing to freely pour ourselves out that others may get released we, need, we may need to be prepared to watch as people are blessed and restored and to wait patiently for our own breakthrough I think it takes tremendous maturity to do that to not ask what about me continually but understand this is something that sometimes we have to do but God will raise each one of us at the appointed time he really will. He has an action plan for that. As surely as the sun will rise tomorrow, he will raise us up and call us out again. Amen? Amen. Okay. I want to play a track just for us to meditate on some of this and to listen. And as we listen to this piece of music, just ask yourself, what season am I in now? How do I need to know Christ and the power of Christ in the season that I'm in? And then we're going to spend some time uh, praying together and just asking God to step in and to do what he wants to do in our lives in this coming season. See you. 
Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for handing us this incredible account of your death and resurrection. Thank you for the power in these words. Thank you for the strength that we can draw from it. And thank you that your spirit is still doing the same things that we read about in this story. Lord Jesus, you are still standing with us through the dark times. Lord, you're still allowing us to know your grace and your love and your assurance, even when we feel poured out and spent. You're still faithful to us. Even if it's been some time, you're still faithful to us to restore us to new life and to pick us up and to put us onto an, into a new place, call us out into a new life. Lord, you're still moving the stones away, whatever that represents for us. Jesus, would you help us to know you in these ways? Help us to fix our eyes upon you. <clears throat> 